With so many meaningful lyrics, no wonder it's taken listeners two and a half years to return to one of Springsteen's greatest hits. Hi, I'm Ted Canova, and welcome back to my podcast, That One Lyric, which we all know is more than just a lyric. They're words that often shape our life. Were you like me, smiling through the last episode, hearing Michael choose that one lyric from Springsteen's 4th of July, Asbury Park? He's down on his knees and he's begging for love. And I'm 18 and that's absolutely me because I could so relate to somebody who's like, I'll do anything, please. Many of us can so relate to you, Michael, especially your old friend who wrote to us. I'm the Mark who introduced Michael to the music of Bruce Springsteen. So you're the one. Thanks for your early fandom, Mark. Your comment automatically enters you in our raffle to win the book Renegades, Born in the USA with Bruce and Barack Obama. Stay tuned to hear how you too can enter to win. Now onto this episode. Let's meet Bud, another longtime fan with a tall tale of discovering Bruce in the mid-70s. Bud chose that one lyric from a Springsteen song, in which the final lyric changed the trajectory of his life. Hey, Bud, great to meet you. Welcome to That One Lyric. How are you today? Real good, Ted. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. Where are you talking to us from? Huntsville, Alabama. We're about an hour and a half south of Nashville. I don't think Bruce makes it to Huntsville all that often. Have you seen him on this tour? And if so, where? My wife and I went to Tampa. We hit the opener. And then on the way back, we stopped in Atlanta, catch the second show. And then we went to Boston. She's got a niece and her husband who live there. So we went to see them and, you know, Bruce just happened to be in town. And it happened to be the same day as my birthday. So that just kind of made it a good deal. Oh, I love that. Say, Bud, what was your first exposure to the music of Bruce Springsteen? It was in Newark, Delaware in August of 74. Wow. I went to Auburn down in South Alabama, and my best friend in high school went to the University of Delaware. He told me about Bruce. He's exposed to the music more. Since I was home on the summer, he said, hey, Bruce is coming to Stone Balloon, which was a church converted into a bar <laughs> right on the edge of campus. And the show was delayed because of weather. There was, I think, a couple wrecks on the highway or something. Not, not to quote a lyric, but we finally got in about 11.30 or midnight, and it was crazy. So that was my first actual show. I don't know if you call it a concert because it was in a bar, but it was pretty close to one anyway. Oh my gosh. Can you just kind of paint a picture because we're all envious <laughs> <laughs> that you were at this show in 1974 in a bar. It was strange because it was really my first exposure to him, so I didn't know what to expect. And lack of a better way to put it, this grungy guy had this great gravelly voice and you, you got the big old sax player next and we played for a couple hours and it was really, really neat. When I was at Auburn, it was in in 76. He was coming to play. It was when he was on the Chicken Scratch tour. I was about the only person who had heard <laughs> of him. So Fraternity Brothers and I pulled a little hoax on campus. I impersonated him. What? 
Not that it's necessarily the most exciting story to ever come out of Auburn, but at the same time, it's something that happened, something you couldn't get away with these days. We had a battle of the bands like a weekend before Springsteen's arrival. One of our guys in the band said, we understand Bruce Springsteen may be coming to campus on Friday. So that got the ball rolling. I showed up on campus with a couple of my other fraternity brothers who acted as my guides. I had the beard and the straggly hair. I even had the floppy hat. And I went walking around campus and signed a couple autographs. Bud was able to convince campus before the Bruce Springsteen concert that he himself was the boss and uh, was walking around signing autographs and doing all sorts of stuff. It's a story My date and I went to the arena early because I was hoping to be introduced to the guy with the Student Government Association who was in charge of concerts. I had the leather jacket on, the hat. Oh my God, so did you break character? How did it end up ending? We were walking around the Coliseum and there were these guys out back throwing a baseball around and then I just hear this, Bruce, Bruce, look at this, Bruce. <laughs> Wait, you're looking for the Student Government Association guy and all of a sudden Bruce and Stevie appear. <laughs> yeah. And then I look and see him come walking over and he was wearing a yellow Bad News Bears t-shirt and baggy army green fatigue pants. So I'm just frozen with my date. I've been busted. We were standing eye to eye, just doing some chit chat. And Van Zant, he says, look, even the noses. <laughs> what a great line. It was so cool. Somebody had let him know what had happened. And because I, I asked him, he goes, yes, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> we chatted a little. Then they had to go in for the sound check. My date and I went back to the other part of the arena. But what happened after the show was one of my regrets in life. He invited us backstage. So we met, and I had the Time and Newsweek magazines with me too. So after the show, he and Clarence autographed the covers for me. So we just had some chit-chat, and then he said, you want to go with us? On tour? Yes, everywhere. <laughs> just to New Orleans, their next stop. Here's my regret. Oh, but don't tell me. Do not say that you blew off Bruce. No, I can't go. I've got class. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. And your girlfriend took off with the band. Yeah, she did. Yeah, I hadn't seen her since. <laughs> you still have the Time and Newsweek autographed copies? No. In 1989, here in Huntsville, we had a major tornado, big time. As the sun comes up in the morning, you can see for the first time the devastation caused by the tornado when it touched down shortly after 4.30. Several dozens of people killed and hurt. And where I lived, it came through and took out the townhouse and everything that we owned. In fact, we told our insurance adjuster we were a third slab on the left. So the magazines were gone with the wind. But, you know, I got the memory. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Worse than the magazines, because that's traumatic. Waterford Square apartment complex, hard hit by the tornado when it touched down, as was Southern Junior College. So, Bud, from what song did you choose that one lyric to talk about? Thunder Road. I grew up in Jersey, a small factory town. <laughs> it was called Pennsville, and there was really no future for what I wanted to do, what I went to college for. What was that? Uh, originally for pharmacy, but then it turned out to be journalism. All right, bud. What is that one lyric you picked to talk about from Thunder Road? I'm pulling out of here to win. What the lyric means to me is the freedom and the ability to go and chart my own course of my life. There was not really much of a future in my hometown, and I had to pull out and go literally a thousand miles away to find my life and my career. Because it was a factory town, and you could see it slowly dying because my whole town was built around this one DuPont chemical plant. Everything's for better living through chemistry, that's the promise. 
Did your parents work there? Yeah, my dad, my grandfather, one of my uncles, my great-grandfather, several of my classmates, a couple of my cousins. It was really the economic heart of that small town. So curious, if you knew there was a spark in you that you needed to pull out of there to win, what did that do to your interactions with your parents, your relatives, and your best buddies? With my friends, it wasn't that bad because my close friends, they all left town to go to college. My dad and I had kind of a strained relationship, and it didn't start healing maybe till about 10 years ago, and then he passed last June. They knew that what I wanted to do wasn't going to be around there. Any part of the strained relationship with your father, was it over this issue that you weren't going to walk in his footsteps and stay? Was it almost a, an indictment of his choice of staying? Yeah, that had something to do with it, and the fact that I was just an independent spirit. And he and I had a couple kerfuffles, for lack of a better word, when I was... 16, 17, 18. There was just something that rubbing each other, or maybe it's just me rubbing him the wrong way. So interesting. I'm sorry for his passing, but grateful to hear that you had nine years to reconcile before he passed. Right, yeah. We would go up there once a year and we'd stay there. He knows my sons and my grandkids, so he's met a couple of his great grandkids. So, Bud, you pulled out. Did you win? Have you won? I'm still fighting. You never win until it's over. And I found success in several things that I wouldn't have found. And I found some failures and other things. And then you learn from that. But I'm still looking for the ultimate win. And I know it's within reach. The game's never over. What is the ultimate win to you? Just to be completely satisfied with everything going on, forgiving some people, and then just find a way back, get on the right path. And I'm on that right path. If you don't mind me asking, what are you still searching for forgiveness for? You seem like such a kind man. Whoever I've wronged, you never know who, who you've rubbed the wrong way. And I know I've rubbed a couple people the wrong way. But other than that, path looks good and the light is shining and it's really close. Well, I see your smile right now. How do you go about reconciling that? You say that there's some people who you've wronged. So what steps are you taking to get to that win that we're talking about? I'm pulling out of here to win. Just reaching out and extending a hand. I may have overblown a couple of things. So just letting them know that I'm available if, if they need anything from me. I'm here for them and I know they were there for me. How do you feel about sharing what you just shared? This was strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how I thought the conversation would turn, so you're, you're pretty tricky here. <laughs> but I'm fine. I'm fine with it. This was cool. This was cool. But I really enjoyed meeting you, and you gave me a lot of food for thought, and I think our listeners will feel the same way. I appreciate that, and thank you, Ted. This has been a trip. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Same here, Ted. The screen door slams, Mary's dress well, that lyric that Bud chose comes immediately after the one that Laura chose in an earlier episode. I invite you to go back and listen to episode six to hear the similarities and the differences that Bud and Laura were feeling. Also, I came across some vintage archives of that 76 concert that Bud attended at Auburn, along with the newspaper account of him posing as Bruce on campus. You'll find it all on our website, thatonelyric.com. While you're there, pick out some merch and click the link to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which automatically enters you in our raffle to win the book Renegades, Born in the USA with Bruce and Barack Obama. And wherever you're listening, be sure to click the follow button so you never miss an episode. And please keep sharing our podcast with your friends and fellow fans. Yes, some may roll their eyes that we can actually talk about one lyric, but who cares? We're not apologizing for our fandom. 
I'm glad you joined me, that you're part of our community, and that you enjoyed that one lyric. I'm Ted Canova. Remember, music makes it all better. See you next time.